0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: There are moments in our life when we are shaped through adversity and challenge, propelled through turbulent change were presented with an opportunity to take wings and soar from a dark place to one of light. I'm Leslie Salem, founder of Over the Bloody Moon, on a mission to take the muddle out of menopause and show the positive side to this time of life. At Over the Bloody Moon, we believe in three T's to help us thrive, a team, tools, and a tribe. In our second series of The Changemakers, we invite you to meet clinicians and specialists who share their experience and knowledge to help you manage your menopause. Come join us for the flight. Today's show is called Nutrition for Mental Health. We all know the benefits of eating healthily, but when it comes to menopause, making considered food and drink choices can make all the difference in helping us improve sleep quality, manage stress, as well as rebalancing hormones to boost our mood. Poor mental health affects at least 25% of people transitioning through menopause, according to various studies in the UK, with up to 60% claiming sleep has become more disrupted. In today's show, we'll be learning how we can use nutrition more purposefully to manage our menopause and improve our sleep, stress and mood. I'm delighted today to welcome Emma Bardwell, menopause nutritionist and author of The Perimenopause Solution, who's gonna be sharing some invaluable tips and ideas on how to use nutrition as a power tool through perimenopause and beyond. Emma's evidence-based approach and her ongoing interest in perimenopause and menopause has made her one of the go-to names in women's health and nutrition. She combines the most up-to-date research with a 360-degree approach, focusing on diet, lifestyle, stress reduction and exercise to help women overcome their symptoms. Emma is deeply anti-fad and doesn't care for restriction believing in positive rather than perfect nutrition. Emma, it's so lovely to catch up with you again. We're delighted to welcome you on the show today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here.
1: So Emma, you are a nutritionist that specializes in perimenopause. Um, So I'd like to first start off by hearing a little bit more about your work. How did you fall into nutrition and decide to specialize in menopause?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, When I very first left university, I actually worked in advertising. I was a copywriter, but I had always had this kind of real interest in nutrition. And behind the scenes, I was doing lots of courses and education, I guess, around the subject. And it was only when I was kind of in my late 30s that I made the switch. So this was basically my second career. And originally I was going to do general nutrition, but I actually went through perimenopause age 42. And that was the trigger because of my own experiences with, you know, getting fobbed off, not getting the support I needed, not being listened to. I realised that there was this huge chasm, basically, uh, you know, in women's health. And we know it's underfunded, it's under-researched, you know, it's very misunderstood, sadly, still, in 2021. You know, it's crazy. So that is why I decided to really kind of shine a spotlight on perimenopause, menopause and women's health, because it's just so needed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and, and tell me, I mean, 42 is on the young end for perimenopause tell us a little bit about what your experience was how did you notice what, what was going on
0: yeah it was brought on I think and this is an element of menopause and particularly perimenopause that doesn't get talked about enough but I think it was brought on by stress I, I don't think stress actually causes perimenopause, but it it absolutely triggers those, those symptoms and exacerbates them. So I went through quite a big life trauma, uh, you know, early 40s, well, 42. And mm. I, you know, the two very much coincided. So mm. almost overnight, I was kind of plunged into these symptoms, which were things like palpitations, um, you know, severe insomnia, joint pain but mine were very psycho mostly kind of psychological issues. So yeah, that that was my experience and but my GP really was having none of it. She basically said you're too young to be going through this, which clearly I wasn't at all, and she didn't put the pieces together. So it took me going away, doing my own research and then going back to her and listing out my my reasons and my symptoms and my story and eventually she did come round and you know we we've we've worked on it ever since Mm.
1: it's such a common story isn't it i mean we have to be our own advocates and, and often really sort of push to be heard that there might be something else going on behind the stress And for many women, they just don't have that information or time to to kind of, you know, research. So tell us about nutrition and for you personally, how that helped you manage your symptoms.
0: Well, I mean, it is for me, it's the bedrock. It doesn't matter which avenue you go down, uh, you know, if you go down the pharmaceutical route or not. And it's not, we're not just talking about HRT, you know, there's many different pharmaceutical routes that you can go down to manage menopause and perimenopause symptoms, but irrespective of that, looking after your diet, looking after your sleep, you know, reducing stress, all of these kind of lifestyle factors, they play, a, you know, such an important role, not just for managing your current symptoms but for future-proofing. And we know that women are more at risk of dementia, we're more at risk of osteoporosis, we're much more at risk of heart disease, particularly post-50. So we're really, we're thinking about the future, not just about managing what's happening with us currently.
1: Mm. And there's something really empowering about being able to influence our health outcomes through food, through exercise, you know, we have the power. We're going to start off by talking about sleep, which is a really common lament for those transitioning through menopause. It's caused by a combination of hormone fluctuations and drops in estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and it affects some women um, in, in different ways. So some might find it hard to get off to sleep, some might wake up several times in the night, and others might remain tired throughout the day. So what can we be doing with nutrition to improve a good night's slumber.
0: Yeah, it's such a common lament. I think it, it pretty much comes up within every consultation that I do. And like you say, it's about, you know, low estrogen is, is kind of quite often the cause for, um, for night sweat and that temperature-controlled dysregulation. You know, low progesterone, we need progesterone to sleep. We need progesterone to produce melatonin, which helps us to fall to sleep and to stay asleep we need progesterone for that kind of deep sleep as well, that kind of stage three REM sleep. There's lots of reasons other than that, I think that the sleep affects women. It is, you know, there's lots of anxiety going on. There's lots Mm. of kind of ruminating at night. Um, And then there's the physical symptoms of joint pain and restless legs. And so, yeah, what can we actually do about it in terms of, you know, pure Nutrition, if you're looking at what you're eating, I think it's really important to make sure that you're eating enough. Actually, a lot of my clients, because they may be noticing some weight changes, a lot of them are on very restrictive diets. So, particularly things like keto is not conducive to having a good night's sleep. You actually need carbs, you know, complex carbs, because, you know, there's carbs and carbs. We're talking about quality, slow release carbs. You actually need them to produce serotonin. So particularly at night, I think it's really important to make sure that you're including a good source of complex carbs into your meals. It's important to to keep your blood glucose levels steady throughout the day. And that doesn't mean eating small and often, although it might do for you. You know, it looks different for different people. Particularly with my clients, I talk about eating very satiating meals, but, you know, making sure that they are protein-based. So, you know, two or three satiating meals throughout the day. There's a lot of talk about tryptophan-rich foods coupled with some complex carbs because it helps to actually get the serotonin where you need it so things like tryptophan rich foods will be things like uh, turkey and salmon chicken tofu eggs bananas oats Um, you can also look to b vitamin rich foods particularly b6 b12 is another really important uh, b vitamin that helps with with sleep And those two go hand in hand, particularly because they uh, create something called GABA, which is our calming neurotransmitter. Um, If you're vegan or veggie, chances are you're not getting enough B12. So that's definitely something to look, you know, to a supplement for.
1: And where where does one get B6 and B12 in terms of food sources?
0: Yeah, B12 is from, from animal products. So that's why you, if you're vegan or veggie, you would have to supplement. And B6 is things like tofu and eggs and chicken, bananas, oats, things like that. I often tell my clients to invest in a a B complex, which has all eight B vitamins. B vitamins are incredibly helpful for stress and mood, for hormone synthesis, for sleep. Between seven and eight out of 10 women are deficient in magnesium. So you can get magnesium from green leafy veg... But if you think you're not getting enough, then supplementing can be really helpful. If you look online, you'll be kind of bamboozled by the number of magnesium supplements that are available. And they are combined quite often with another compound. So you will get, for example, citrate or glycinate or taurate or threonate. And they all have slightly different uses. So citrate, yeah, it's, it's absorbable. It is... Cheap. It's accessible. It's very good if women are constipated because it can bring on a bowel movement. So particularly if you have it just before bed, you may find that it helps you to go to the toilet in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not always helpful if you are if you have IBS type symptoms. You might look to a glycinate, which is very absorbable and a kind of really nice all rounder, and is actually joined to something called glycine, which is very very helpful. For sleep in fact you can take glycine on its own in lots of studies it's been proven to be really helpful particularly for women who find it hard to fall asleep and to stay asleep
1: oh that's great and just while we're talking about supplements, I mean, how does one know in terms of, you know, quality supplements, dosages, etc.? I
0: know. It's really confusing. I think it's really helpful to work with a practitioner, actually, mm-hmm. always, before you're starting any kind of supplement routine, particularly if, if you're on prescription meds already. It's, it's really important to know what you're taking. And I think there is a lot of women taking things that are unnecessary and perhaps that contraindicate with each other. You know, certain supplements don't actually work alongside each other very well. For example, things like zinc and copper or iron and zinc. You know, you shouldn't take them together. Also, I think it's worth investing in a good quality supplement. Things like Wild Nutrition, some a company that doesn't include lots of fillers and binders and caking agents. So you know that what you're getting is... You know, it's, it's all the active ingredients.
1: So eating regularly, keeping our blood sugar uh, supported, protein to fill us up, potentially tryptophan, foods alongside complex carbs, vitamin Bs. Anything else for sleep?
0: Yes. I mean, listeners will have heard... People talking about sleep hygiene a lot. Getting all of those electricals outside of your bedroom, making sure that you expose your eyes to daylight as early on as possible. So whether that's opening the curtains, yeah, great. But ideally, it's getting outside, even if it's just having your morning drink In the garden, walking around and, you know, getting as much daylight exposure helps to set your circadian rhythm. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of need to flip it on its head in the evening. So keeping everything dark and dim, maybe lighting candles, you know, keeping your lamps on rather than overhead lights. I think lots of women for me will come to clinic and and complain of things like bloating and reflux that they Mm. they tend to really kind of rear their heads in perimenopause for lots of different reasons. But um, so finishing eating at least three hours before bed can be really helpful. Avoiding stimulants, the obvious things like caffeine and alcohol, even chocolate. Um, You know, watching the news can be really stressful. Or talking to your partner about, you know, potentially quite you know stimulating topics finances things like that just not that helpful
1: just going back to alcohol i mean that can be a bit of a myth can't it i'll just have a nightcap and that will send me off have a good night's sleep but it can be incredibly disruptive particularly i think as our liver detox gets clunkier as we get older what's your sort of thoughts on that
0: Yeah, I think a lot of women use it as a crutch because it helps you to nod off, but it doesn't help you to stay asleep. So it quite often raises your blood sugar levels. What happens is they will dip during the night and your body releases cortisol and instantly you're in fight or flight and your body as a natural mechanism will wake you up and quite often wake you up feeling very anxious you might have palpitations this can quite often bring on a night sweat so it's this kind of vicious circle
1: yeah and it's very correctly raised um you know it's not just nutrition it's the whole holistic approach to living and actually preparation for a good night's sleep begins in the day It's not unusual for women to experience more anxiety through the perimenopause, especially, I think, if they've had a history of poor mental health. That might be low mood, depression. It might uh, be anxiety anyway, um, or even if they've got a history of PMDD or PMS. So this can... Spike our cortisol can spike in in menopause. I'm I'm interested to kind of hear from your observations, what you've noticed from your clients.
0: Yeah, uh, it is a big, big concern. In midlife, we're, we're juggling lots of things. Invariably, we're quite high up in our careers. We might have young kids. We may have teenagers. We might have, you know, parents who are... or who need kind of caring for... So, you know, we're we're dealing with a lot. And I think it is a generalisation, but as women, we are very good at putting everyone else first and kind of pushing ourselves down the list. So I'm quite often telling my clients, you know, just to delegate more. You know, there's there's no kind of awards for being a martyr. And I think also, just from a mechanistic perspective estrogen actually helps to buffer cortisol. It helps to keep it in check. So during perimenopause, you know, menopause, when those estrogen levels are declining, actually cortisol kind of can very easily spike. And it also means that you don't have that buffer, so you're not dealing with stress. So you've got lots of stress, but you're not dealing with it as well, perhaps as you were previously. Mm,
1: And then you get into this vicious cycle of perimenopause and hormones triggering stress, but then the stress triggering low uh, hormone production because it also, the more stressed we are, the more suppressed our other hormones are as well.
0: Well, I mean, you know, cortisol is, in a way, it's a master hormone, as in it takes over everything else. So if you are stressed, your digestion gets pushed down the list of important things to do, Um, your hair and nails suffer because your body just doesn't see them as being important, you know, your Mm. periods can stop. And obviously, as your oestrogen levels decline, from your ovaries, your adrenals actually pick up uh, a little bit of the slack by producing oestrogen and progesterone and testosterone to a degree. If they are kind of under attack almost from pumping out constant cortisol, they are not concentrating on producing hormones like oestrogen and progesterone. So yeah, it is really hard, but it's an important facet to kind of look at.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and what about um, adrenaline, adrenaline fatigue and... Is it noradrenaline?
0: Noradrenaline, yeah. And adrenal fatigue. Yeah, I think... So they're kind of hitting the headlines because a lot of people are saying it's not a proper diagnosis, right? So if you go to your GP, they won't probably have heard of adrenal fatigue. um, Or if they do, they will poo-poo it. But the symptoms of so-called adrenal fatigue are very pertinent to perimenopause women and they should be taken very seriously because they can impact mental health you know and physical health Mm.
1: so let's talk about nutrition again and how we can use that as a power tool to calm down the nervous system yeah
0: so it's not the kind of obvious thing, I think, to to associate nutrition with stress control, but it does play a really important role, particularly because cortisol is such an inflammatory sort of situation. High stress is an inflammatory situation to be in. It's very important to look to an anti-inflammatory diet to just to try and kind of quell that inflammation. And the most kind of obvious way to do that is the med diet. And it's quite a nice diet because it's not really a diet. It's a lifestyle. It's just a kind of way of eating. And it also is quite inclusive. It doesn't really omit anything. It even includes some red wine. But the onus is on healthy fats. So oily fish. And we remember that with the acronym SMASH. So sardines, mackerel, anchovies, salmon and herring. But that also includes things like whitebait and pilchards. Um, You know, lots of healthy fats, lots of avocados, lots of olive oil. More and more research is being done on its benefits for heart and for brain health. Lots of fibre. Lots of us aren't getting enough fibre and fibre is really key for gut health. Um, Actually, and part of the med diet, which doesn't really get talked about so much, is the community aspect and the, the kind of taking your time over a meal and sharing time with your loved ones, talking, discussing, all of this has a marked impact on stress Mm. levels.
1: So it's the way we eat, not just what we eat. Absolutely.
0: We tend to kind of wolf things down with one eye on a laptop or watching TV, which just isn't very helpful at all. We need to really kind of slow down. And I talk to my clients about having one mindful meal day if possible taking your time eating slowly chewing savoring really kind of breaking down your food in your mouth before you swallow it can Mm -hmm. have massive massive benefits for things like bloating and reflux um you know really good for gut health
1: fantastic so what should we be avoiding thinking about stress
0: uh, you know the obvious culprits, which we talk about time and time again. But things like sugar—sugar sugar is inflammatory in high doses. I'm not about restricting and taking out all sugar. I think it plays a role, but we definitely do as a population—we eat too much. That—that's a given. Particularly added sugars. You know, free sugars. We need to be very mindful about how many we're having. Alcohol again doesn't really help us when it comes to stress after a hard day it can be really nice to sink a couple of glasses of wine but it's the kind of aftermath it's the it's a depressant it doesn't help with our anxiety levels it doesn't help with sleep caffeine is another one it has a long half life so it means that it stays in your system for quite some time particularly if you're very sensitive to it
1: Mm. The more we age, the longer it stays in our system. Um, so what's interesting about what you're saying is, is that actually we can be increasing our mental stress by putting our body under stress. And just going back to what you said earlier about dieting, if we restrict what we're eating, that's also going to kind of have an impact on raising our cortisol.
0: Actually, something else that I think is quite useful is... Um... There's lots of talk about adaptogenics. So they are herbs that actually help you to deal with stress. And although we don't have a massive amount of research, anecdotally, lots of women, particularly in perimenopause, with that time where we we're really kind of in flux, find them really helpful so things like rhodiola things like ashwagandha they might be something to kind of add into the mix as can cbd oil which again Mm. it's emerging we don't have a massive amount of robust research but lots of women are finding that it can be helpful
1: So we're going to be talking about mood. We hear quite a lot from women in our community where they're feeling low, some with clinical depression, or they talk about difficulty regulating emotions. We do know that for many women, there's definitely a pronounced change as we go through our menopause transition. So I'd love to hear how we can eat happy.
0: Yes. I think the biggest thing when it comes to mood and food is to focus on your gut health. Gut health has such positive kind of ramifications across the board when it comes to health. We have this gut-brain axis, which is, you know, the two are joined by something called the vagus nerve, which is basically like this kind of fiber optic cable that is bi-directional. So your brain talks to your gut and your gut talks to your brain. So it stands to reason that what you're putting into your gut has strong kind of links with your mood. 90% of your serotonin is produced in your gut. So again, it stands to reason that we need to really look after it. And so what your gut thrives on more than anything is fibre and particularly from plant fibres. The more diverse these fibres are, the better. And you can get, you know, you can get your probiotics, your live bacteria from food sources. So things like kefir, which is a fermented yogurt, things like miso and sauerkraut and kombucha, you know, all of these things, which I'm sure listeners will have heard people talking about more and more and which are now widely available in in supermarkets, which is super helpful.
1: Now, we've been focusing on perimenopause, but postmenopause... Does it get better in terms of mental health? Have you noticed kind of, you know, a difference? Is this just a short-term blip? Or are these principles that we have to continue to nurture and take care of?
0: Yeah, it's such a good question. I think, so most, most women by the age of 55 will be postmenopausal, um, And for the majority, though not all, they will have stopped experiencing the symptoms that they did in perimenopause. But that said, there will be, uh, you know, women who are experiencing hot flushes and anxiety well into their 60s or 70s, unfortunately. But, you know, all of the things that we've talked about, I think, are important, not even just for perimenopausal women in their 40s. I think it's something that we need to focus on from our twenties, thirties, and then it needs to be, you know, managed and we almost need to kind of check in with ourselves to make sure that we're kind of ticking off all of these things that we know that we should do, but quite often Fall through the net.
1: Yeah, it's so important. It really is. You know, this is such a window. And when we look at this as being kind of you know proactive and actually setting ourselves up to just enjoy life because we're living longer, so we want to be able to make the most of it. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. I'd just like to touch a little bit on your book, um, which is called The Perimenopause Solution. So tell us about it. When is it coming out? What does it cover?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've written it alongside a menopause doctor who I believe you know, Dr. Shazadi Harper. And it is a book of three parts. So it is about health, it's about life, and it's about diet. So we look at the pharmaceutical side of things. We look at stress, we look at sleep and my part is very much the kind of lifestyle issues and the obviously the nutrition side of things. So we cover the science, we cover the reasons why, you know, there's a lot of conflicting messages particularly on social media and things like that. So we really kind of we debunk a lot of myths, we give you the facts. It's not about fads, but most importantly, we give this kind of really nice robust toolkit of practical advice that's easy to put in place and which they can start you know from the get-go
1: absolutely and also you know trusted advice because as you say on social media there's there's a lot of information and misinformation out there so it's important to have trusted sources and um, fantastic so when is it coming out
0: so July 22nd you can pre-order it now from Amazon but you can physically buy it from any good bookshop from july 22nd
1: fantastic well emma thank you so much we have learned an enormous amount uh, today so thank you so much for sharing all your brilliant knowledge can't wait to pick up a copy of the perimenopause solution Uh, so we'll all be in the bookstores looking for that so thank you very much for your time today
0: thank you so much it's always a pleasure talking to you leslie